Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6 this morning. We pray that God would just speak to us and bless us this morning. You know, I love living in Ruston. I love being here in North Louisiana. Uh, this week, Leslie and I were driving around, and we say this quite often. We'll just drive through the streets of Ruston, and we'll say, you know, we just love this place. It's just an awesome place to live and to minister. I mean, what other place in the nation has peaches like we do, right? I mean, if nothing else, the peach population of Ruston should somehow bring an appeal to us. Right, Joe? Have you got them yet? Is that no, yes? You got two. Save it for me and Leslie, all right? We love peaches. Look, here we are in June. We know the peach festival is coming up. I remember the first year we were here and we got caught up in the peach festival. Unfortunately, we, we've been gone a lot of the other uh, times. But I remember that they'll always have this, uh, this kind of treasure hunt around the peach festival. Most of you are familiar with it, right? Now, we had gotten really immersed in it the first time we were here. We, we recognized that they would give you clues. You would just have to read the paper so often and find it and all. And, and that you'd get clues and you could look for this peach, the proverbial peach. And that when you found it, you were able to get a prize. I think the prize then was about $500. We were trying to think about it. It was something like that. But we would go out and we'd just kind of look. We'd take the whole family. It was, it was a great experience to just go around looking for the peach. And I told them where it was one year, but they wouldn't listen to me, the rest of the family. But anyway, we were looking, and we were looking, and we were looking. We could never find it. And it was frustrating in a way, but it was fun in a way because we as a family got to go out and, and participate in this treasure hunt. Well, let me say to you that in some ways, God has given us an opportunity to experience treasure. As a matter of fact, when I look at Matthew chapter 6, I look at verses 19 through 24 Jesus himself, as he's giving this Sermon on the Mount, as he's teaching his disciples, he really speaks to them about treasure and being on a treasure hunt, a treasure hunt of much greater significance than just looking for a peach. Uh, a treasure hunt that, that would have eternal consequences, eternal rewards for them. I want you to hear what Jesus says, okay? He's teaching again, this extended teaching section the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus is talking about treasure. He's talking about a treasure 
hunt, if you will. And as I read these passages, I hear three issues that Jesus deals with. I, I think he deals with these issues in order for these individuals, for these disciples, to effectively be about the treasure hunt itself, okay? I want to give you those three issues. I think the issues deal first with the treasure itself, then with the heart, and then with lordship. These three issues, the treasure issue itself, the heart issue, and the lordship issue. If we deal with all of these issues effectively, we will see great gain in our lives. First, I want you to see the treasure issue itself. And basically the question is, what is your treasure? What are you looking for? What is it that you value most? Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus draws this distinction between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. There's a great distinction that he draws. I want you to hear a translation. I've been working on this this week and, and studying it quite a bit. And I have written a lot of stuff down. Leslie has been concerned. She thought that we were going to get out of here heading toward Phoenix today. And now she's not sure when she saw all the notes that I was writing this week. But I've written a lot of things. I've studied. I was looking at this. And I was translating this original language. And, and, and really, when you look at verse 19, it should see, say something more like this. Do not go on treasuring your earthly treasures. Do not go on treasuring your earthly treasures. In verse 20, it says, but go on treasuring your heavenly treasures. I mean, the word itself, I, I know it's... I know it seems to be different in verse 19 and verse 20 as, as far as the laying up. And, but literally, the word there is to treasure. So, so listen how redundant this is. Don't treasure your earthly treasures. Don't treasure your, or, or treasure instead your heavenly treasures. You, you hear how redundant Jesus is? He uses the verb form and then he uses the noun form. The verb form means basically to keep something that is valuable safe. To keep it safe. The noun form is something that is of exceptional value. So in other words, he says, there are earthly treasures. He said, don't treasure those. D don't put your stock in those things. But he says, there are heavenly valuables. He said, there, you keep those things safe. You invest in them. You treasure them. He draws the distinction and he makes a command here. Jesus is not leaving the option open. He is saying this is how you are to respond to different treasures in your life. This is how you are to respond to earthly treasures. This is how you are to respond to heavenly treasures. Now I think at this moment I need to stop and just say to you that I'm not trying to teach you this morning some unbiblical dualism, spiritual dualism. And what I mean by that is, I don't mean to infer today that everything that is material is inherently evil. I'm not telling you that because this is something that we can see and feel, this pulpit here, that it is inherently evil. I don't believe that. 
I, I, I don't believe that at all. I don't believe it's inherently evil. I don't believe it's inherently good. Just to be honest. All of creation, yes, has been affected by sin. I believe that. But I'm saying to you, you've got to be careful of saying that all things earthly are inherently evil because this is what happens. And in the times past, especially in church history, those who had that kind of view about material things would either withdraw themselves. They maybe would live a lifestyle like a monk or something like that. They would try to get away from all material things. Or they would say, material things, they don't matter whatsoever anyway because they're not spiritual. And thus, they would go and live life like they wanted to. And you actually see that confronted in the New Testament. Paul himself says you can't live either way. You, you can't live like that. You can't construct a theology like that. So I want you to hear this morning that I'm not trying to tell you that everything material is inherently evil. You need to under shake your head, okay? Those of you in the gathering, yes, I can see you. Shake your head. I don't want you to hear some type of unbiblical dualism that I'm trying to teach this morning. What I'm trying to do is, is get you to evaluate your treasure and challenge you to put your treasure where it makes a difference. This is what Jesus was saying. He says, don't treasure your earthly treasures, the ones that you have upon earth, the ones that you have piled up. He says, do not treasure those things, but rather treasure those treasures in heaven. What do you value? What is most valuable to you as an individual? If you were to list those things, what are your earthly valuables? What are your heavenly valuables? How do they relate to each other? Which is more important in the long run? Too many of us have focused upon our earthly valuables. We probably would have a lot of people in here, including this preacher, who would be convicted if we talked about the times that we put our trust or our confidence in earthly valuables. Most of us have this well, we have a temptation, even an inclination, I think, toward materialism and toward these earthly valuables. Too many of us are about creating or buying or having more toys than anybody else. Building our own kingdoms. Increasing our value. But Jesus said here, the point of your life is not to lay up treasures here on earth. Now, again, not against blessing and prosperity. Remember, God is the one who brings all gifts, all blessing in our lives. So everything comes from Him. But our focus should not be upon piling up things here on earth, but rather investing in heavenly treasures. Someone has said that materialism is not only wrong... But it is totally stupid. Now, I'm sorry, children. Some of you parents look at me and said, you just used that word. I can't believe it. It's not only wrong, but it's foolish. When you look at the long-term benefits, it is foolish. Think about what materialism has done to so many of us. So many of us who have tried to lay up earthly treasures who have put so much stock in earthly valuables, what have we done? 
in most cases, we have run up our debt. Too many of our people in the churches and out in the community, across our nation, too many live in a bondage of debt. And how and why? It is because materialism has eaten at the very being of who we are. In most cases, listen, I know there are those who have health issues and some things have happened because of that. But I'm saying to you that I believe the preponderance of debt is directly, well, it is directly affected by our materialistic hearts and lives. Bill Hobbles said that materialism drives us into immense debt. And I love this part. He says... Debt can undermine the power of love, and it can destroy the power of hope. Debt can seem to destroy and consume individuals. When we're about trying to lay up treasures here, before we know it, we've increased, we've accumulated our debt. Look again what Jesus said, though. Jesus said, do not treasure for yourselves these earthly treasures where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves these treasures treasure those things where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal Jesus is saying that when you think about it when you think about your investments and who you are it is much better to invest in those things that give that yield heavenly reward Rather than earthly reward. Why? Because earthly treasures are temporary. Earthly treasures are temporary. He says where moth and rust or corrosion destroy. It's like where those things just eat away at the earthly valuables we have. In the New Testament, two specific areas where you were able to show your prosperity would be in relationship to your clothes and to what kind of precious metal you might obtain. So in other words, your clothes. Notice here, Jesus says, moths will eat those things. You know, think about it today. We get some new clothes. Great, wonderful clothes. I mean, you're so proud of those clothes, right? And what happens to those clothes? They go into the washer. And what happens in the washer? They fade. You ever had... I know not you... I'm, look, I never put this in the washer. But you know, they, they fade. They, they wear out. You know, my, my kids, they've got some clothes that they love to wear. Rhett's got a shirt. What does it say, buddy? Prepared to be schooled, something like that. He wears around, he's worn for a long time. His mama can't stand it when he comes out with it. Because he just keeps wearing it and wearing it, wearing it. She was wanting something new and it's kind of worn out, but he loves it. And I just encourage him, keep wearing it. You know, like. <laughs> you know, your, your, your clothes will wear out or you'll outgrow them. <clears throat> They'll go out of style. Unless you got a serious sucker, never goes out of style. Those things will happen. 
The life expectancy of clothes, it's really not much. Hey, and as I was studying this, looking at it, I realized the life expectancy of socks, well, you can cut that in two-thirds, right, of the rest of the... I don't know what happens, but at my house, I mentioned the washer, but the dryer, that has an evil spirit in it. <laughs> Things will go into that dryer like socks, and they will not ever reappear, ever. I just got a witness in here today, eh? <laughs> the idea is clothes will wear out. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, you got clothes and that's a symbol of your prosperity. You know that those clothes can be damaged. He said, or those precious metals, they can be eaten away at. Rust itself will, will consume it. Notice he says also, where thieves break in and steal. Literally, it's the idea that the thieves will break into a wall. They can... They can dig underneath. Even when you tried to hide it, those thieves can find it. He said, these things are temporary. You cannot keep these earthly valuables. They're only temporary. Listen, I remember when I was in Zachary how difficult it was one year for us. Most of the time at Zachary, God blessed us and we had enough to financially uh, do whatever we wanted to do, do the ministry and the missions. God really was good to us. One year, one year was very difficult. Some of you may have read about it in the paper. Some of you may have been affected, but mostly around the Baton Rouge areas and Houston and certain other specific areas, we experienced the difficulty of the Stanford group's collapse. In Baton Rouge, we had a lot of people work for Exxon. A lot of people. I had a lot of individuals in First Zachary that their livelihood had come from from Exxon. But through the years, they had been approached by the Stanford group and the investment. I'm not knocking them. Let me just say to you, there were some good people that got caught up in that. But they went ahead and they invested their funds in that. They thought everything was secure. And just like that. Just like that. All of their retirement and livelihoods, all of it seemed to be taken away. How difficult it was for people who had now had to go back to work in their 70s, who had to go back and try to find different fields that they were not familiar with, It was very difficult. And what I was reminded is that even those things that we think are the most secure, they can evaporate in just a moment. Jesus said all of these earthly valuables, they're not going to last forever. Hey, you can't take them with you. You can't take them with you. I remember I had this this vivid image that was created by my Aunt Barbara when I was younger. We had one of our great uncles that passed away in our family. He was noted for his miserly ways. And after his death, as they were preparing for the funeral, I remember my Aunt Barbara, who never bit her tongue on anything, (laughs) 
said, well, I wonder if they'll pull a U-Haul behind the hearse when they go to the funeral today. I'm going to tell you, as a young guy, young boy, that was a vivid image for me. I kind of was looking around. Let's see what it is. You can't take the U-Haul with you. You can't take anything, these earthly valuables. They're temporary. John D. Rockefeller, of course, one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. He passed away, and after he died, someone asked his accountant, How much did John D. leave? To which the accountant answered very classically, He left all of it. We leave it all. It's not going to go with us, not these earthly valuables. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, King Solomon, one of the wealthiest men to ever live, this is what he said. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Or he who loves abundance with increase, this also is emptiness. When goods increase, they increase. Who eat them? So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. And as he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor which he may carry away in his hand. In other words, you can't take it with you. But I love the way Randy Alcorn says this. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Heavenly treasures. This is what Jesus is speaking about. He says, you ought to be treasuring your heavenly valuables. You ought to be trying to lay up your heavenly treasures where nothing can destroy. Nothing Those things that are in heaven, they cannot be destroyed. What are those things? Well, obviously, our reward for faithfulness, our reward as we give accordingly, our our just basic reward. And listen, let me say this right here. You and I are not saved on our works. Know that one day Jesus has a reward prepared for us. Because of the work of what he has done and accomplished on the cross. So you and I, if we're saved, listen, if you and I are saved, oh, what a reward. And there is nothing that anybody, anyone, anything can do about it. It's right there. Nothing can separate us from his love. And the reward of being able to see him face to face. Now, I do believe, though, that here what Jesus is saying is you, you need to put your treasure. The treasure issue, it should be about heaven. It should be about living for eternity. It should be about what you can do to invest in the kingdom in such a way that it will have heavenly benefits for others. Mr. Covington, my high school Bible teacher who I love still to this day, who taught me so much about the Bible who really taught me so much of the foundation of the Scripture. He challenged us as high school students here. And while I believe he might have been stretching it just a little bit, I do believe he was right on. 
Mr. C used to say, you just think about all the things that you can take to heaven with you. You can't take all the earthly valuables. You can't take all this stuff. You can't do it. But there is one thing you can take with you. And that's your friend. That's your family member. He said, you never forget when you talk about laying up treasures in heaven that you literally are laying up your treasures in heaven when you witness, when you share with other people, when they come to Christ and that they one day will be able to know what this eternal reward is just like you do. Because you know the only thing I can take with me is you. I can take you with me. (laughs) What a great day it's going to be. And that should be our treasure. Well, let me move on. Because I got I to gotta leave here for long, right? The treasure issue. What is your treasure? This plays right into the next issue, the heart issue. Where is your heart? You see, you ask yourself, what is your treasure? Because you've got to define it. You've got to know what you're looking for. What you're really aiming at. And then you need to ask yourself, where is your heart? Is your heart in this? Now, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says... For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said, if this is what's valuable to you, then your heart will be naturally led there. And it's kind of a vice versa thing. If your heart's right, you're going to treasure the right things. If you treasure the right things, that means your heart is right. These verses 22 through 23, I'm not going to work through too much this morning, but I just want you to see that I think that those verses really reinforce This heart issue. When he talks about the eye and how the eye can bring light or darkness, basically what he's saying is, again, is your focus is somewhat impacted by the way you see, hear, the way you process things. The heart itself is the center of thoughts, the center of the person. So in other words, this is about who you are, And what you really long for in your life. You see, money is a litmus test for our character. It really just reveals who our heart is. And how easily our hearts can be seduced by the things of this world. I I believe that our hearts can be easily seduced by materialism itself. One of the reasons I believe that is because there is so much in the Scripture about materialism. I mean, you really look at it. Larry Burkett has said that two-thirds of Jesus' parables deal with money and finances. Two-thirds. I mean, Jesus could have taught on so much. Two-thirds. Randy Alcorn, as he was again writing, he, he noted this, and he was somewhat sarcastic when he was writing this. But let me, let me read to you his words. He said, After all, we come to the Bible for comfort. Now think, most of all, when we think about the Bible, we think about coming to it for comfort. We're not thinking about finances or earthly valuables. We're not thinking of that. We just want just speak to us in encouraging, comforting ways. Alcorn says we come to the Bible for comfort, not for a lecture on finances. If we want to know about money, we can go to Fortune, Forbes, Wall Street Journal. Scripture should concern itself with the spiritual and heavenly. That's our attitude. Money is physical and earthly. The Bible is religious. Money is secular. 
Let God talk about love and grace and brotherhood. Thank you. Let the rest of us talk about money and possessions. For serious Christians, some hard questions are in order here. How could the Bible's author and editor, which is God himself, justify devoting twice as many verses to money than to faith and prayer combined? And how could Jesus say more about money than both heaven and hell? Didn't Jesus know what was really important? Now, again, Alcorn was being sarcastic. What he was trying to say is that Jesus knew that we were going to face the disciples then and the disciples now. They faced the real temptation of materialism in their lives. It's one of the things that will seduce us, that we get so focused on the earthly that we forget about the heavenly. That we put so much stock in what we are trying to do in the kingdoms that we're trying to build here that we forget about His kingdom. Why is there so much scripture about this? Because God knew we would struggle so in this materialistic world. Alcorn went on to say that my heart goes where I put my money. In other words, he says, follow the money and you'll find the heart. I'd say to you, I would even add to that, my heart always goes where I put my money and my time. My money and my time. I've often said, if you really want to know where your priorities are, your valuables, Where your heart is, all you got to look at is your checkbook, your credit card bill, and your calendar. Then you'll recognize Walmart owns more of you than what you thought, right? (laughs) But seriously, all you got to do is look, where do your resources go? Where does your time go? Now, you can say one thing about, oh, I love Jesus. Let me say to you, when it comes down to the actual loving Jesus, you can tell where your heart is. In the way you put your money and you put your time. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I actually went back again and translated this, worked on it a little bit, verse 21. I noticed Jesus did something here in the original language. He moved to a singular pronoun, your. Why is that significant? Some of you are looking at me like, I have no clue and I don't know if I want to know this. I mean, in verses 19 and 20, plural yourselves. Verse 21, he moved to singular, your treasure. Treasure singular, also the pronoun your. Now, as I was studying that, as I was looking, why would Jesus change all of a sudden? He was talking about the plural and now he's talking about singular. I think it's like he's personalizing it right here to the disciples. Because he's just preaching, you know, like we preachers, we talk about collectively, corporately. But it was like all of a sudden Jesus turned and he said, you know what? This is you personally. It was like he was saying, Peter, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. Hey, hey, James, John, where your heart, hey, Judas, where your heart is, it's there because your treasure is there. It's like he just personalized the message. It was like if I were to come today and say to you and start calling names of different people and speaking directly to you and saying, where is your heart? Not this collective call to you, but a personalization. Where is your heart? 
Your heart is where the tre- your treasure is. And listen, God wants your heart. Listen to this. When author writes, he says, God isn't looking just for donors for his kingdom. Those who stand outside the cause and dispassionately consider acts of philanthropy. He's looking for disciples immersed in the cause they give to. He wants people so filled with a vision for eternity that they wouldn't dream of not investing their money, time, and prayers where they will matter most. See, this is what it comes down to. God wants your heart. God wants your life. He wants everything about you. Because this is where we find the third issue very quickly. It's the lordship issue. And the question here should be, who is your Lord? Who is your Lord? You see, you ask yourself when you're on this treasure hunt, hey, what what am I aiming for? What, What is the treasure? And then you have to process this. Where is your heart? Where's my heart? Is my heart in this? Is this really what I'm seeking? And then we got to come down and say, hey, who is our Lord? And this is what Jesus says so succinctly in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus just laid it out there, didn't he? He said, it's a choice. There's God. There's mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic word for material wealth. You might even trace it back to a Chaldean God, Babylonian type of God, that would bring prosperity. The New Testament audience would have known exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying that you got a choice here. You can either serve this material wealth, which is like an idol to you, Or you can serve the one true God. Material wealth becomes an idol, a God to us, when we allow material wealth to direct us, dictate us, control our being. When everything that we do is determined by our desire to get more. It is so subtle in our lives and it can, it can really grasp us before we know what's going on. Charles Stanley. Some of you listen to him on TV. Yeah, for years. This is what he said. He said, you may say that you trust God in every area of your life, but then conduct business transactions, make purchases and investments, and enter into money-making opportunities without ever asking God's opinion or seeking his wisdom. An idol can be anything that you place above God in your heart and mind. It is anything that you trust more than you trust God. Anything that you love more than the things of God. When you leave God out of your financial life, you are in grave danger of making money your idol. Again, many of us stand convicted in this, I think, of where we have allowed material possessions to become... Our idols. It even occurs in the church itself. You've heard me mention that this afternoon we're going to be driving toward Phoenix. You can say extra prayer for us in this long journey. 
But at the last Southern Baptist Convention in Phoenix, which would have been 2011, our president, Brian Wright, declared this. I believe the number one idol within the lives of our people and the lives of our churches is materialism. He went on to point out how only two and a half cents on every dollar given by evangelical Christians in the United States these days goes to foreign missions. And he concluded this. What it clearly says to us is that no matter how much our people profess that they love Jesus, they love their money more. For there is no way that when a person is continuing to steal from God, they can claim they love Jesus Christ. I read that to Leslie yesterday, and she said, man, that's harsh. I said, it's right. It is harsh. But I'm going to tell you, I stand right in the circle of conviction. See, when I was studying this and getting ready to preach it to you, <clears throat> I'm going to be honest with you. God started preaching to me. Who is your Lord? The reality is you can't serve two masters. Jesus said you're going to love one, you're going to hate the other one. You can't have divided loyalties. Not going to happen. Think about the rich young ruler that Matthew will write about in chapter 19. The rich young ruler who comes and says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know, keep the commandments. Now, Jesus was not saying you can get to heaven by the commandments. What Jesus was trying to do is show that no one really has kept all the commandments. The rich young ruler heard Jesus list all of these commandments that deal with the horizontal relationships in particular. And then Jesus said to him, go sell all you got. Give to the poor. Oh, if you look at it, he says, and you'll have treasure in heaven as you follow me. Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, you get, you get a pass to heaven just because you give everything else away. What he was saying is there's a choice. You can hang on to what you want to hang on to. Or you can follow me. And the scripture says that the rich young ruler went away deeply sorrowful because he had much. In other words, he made a decision. He had chosen what would be his Lord. Craig Bloomberg, who I believe to be one of the best New Testament scholars of our day, said, many perspectives. Many perceptive observers have sensed that the greatest danger to Western Christianity is not, as is sometimes alleged, prevailing ideology such as Marxism, Islam, the New Age movement, or humanism, but rather the all-pervasive materialism of our affluent culture. We try so hard to create heaven on earth and to throw Christianity in when it's convenient, and then another small addition to the so-called good life. Jesus proclaims that unless we are willing to serve him wholeheartedly in every area of life, but particularly with our material resources, we cannot claim to be serving him at all. It is strong, but it is the message of Jesus. It's the strong message of Jesus. He calls us to serve him, to make him Lord. And the irony of all this... If you go down in Matthew chapter 6, if you keep reading, when he talks about worry and possessions, get this. The irony is, when you seek him, he takes care of you. Chapter 6, verse 33, just a few verses later on, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what will happen? All these things will be added to you. So here you are trying to, trying to pile up these earthly treasures, and 
Jesus said, hey, I got those things. I just, I want you, I want your heart, I want your life, I want you to treasure what is right because I can take care of you as you serve me. But too many of us have settled. I believe we have settled for our earthly treasures when God would have so much more for us to experience in this life. I want to give you this last quote by C.S. Lewis. Many of you have heard me probably share this before. It's impacted me the first time I read it, and I've never been the same since. But this is the way C.S. Lewis really describes us as believers, or us as human individuals. He says, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased, C.S. Lewis says. God has so much more. We can experience the heavenly treasure itself. We can know what it's like to invest in his kingdom, impact lives, make a difference. Think about that. That's one of the things that keeps me going every day, knowing that through my time, my money, through everything that I've got and who I am, I can make a difference for the kingdom of God. Knowing that I can make an eternal impact. Not just impact, but an eternal impact upon people's lives and hearts. Because that is where our true treasure should be. There are three issues we got to deal with here this morning. The issue of the treasure itself. What is your treasure? Today, if you were to make a list, what are the greatest valuables you have? What do you truly value? The heart issue. Where's your heart? You got it in the game? You giving it to the Lord? You following him? Because it does come down to that final issue of lordship. Who's your Lord? Who are you serving? I say to you this day, God calls us to make a choice. And I pray that we respond. Lord, as for me and my house, we're going to serve you. We're going to follow you. That's the only way we can know the heavenly treasure that he has prepared. That's the only way we can know the great reward is by giving our lives to him. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. We thank you for this day. And God, I pray that you take this message, Lord, a message that in so many ways is difficult to deliver, but also, Lord, it is difficult to receive. God, I pray that you would take it and that you would just work a work in our hearts and lives and that we would know what our true treasure is. Thank you that ultimately, Lord, that our true treasure is your son, Lord Jesus. May we treasure him today. May we exalt him. And may our lives, our finances, our time, everything about our being 
reflect his lordship in our lives. We love you in Jesus' name.